Good morning. My name is Deidre. I'll be reading the text this morning. You can follow along in your scripture journal, in your Bible, or it'll be projected on the screen. Um, the text this morning is Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, and then chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucif crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding, up to contempt, holding him up to contempt. Sorry, For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Thanks, Deidre. This morning we're continuing a series called Rest Assured. Rest Assured, and this morning's message is actually entitled The Commitment. Rest Assured and Commitment. And uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm uh, one, of the, one of those people that are easily distracted by something, like something happens and it catches my attention and I either have to like say something about it or it continues in the back of my mind as like an annoyance, kind of like, uh, you know, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And, um, and so I was, I was driving down the road, um, this was probably, probably uh, almost a year ago now, and uh, I was near Oneana, and I had to go near there, and I got stopped in some traffic, and we were on kind of a back road. There was some form of construction happening, and to my left, I think it, yeah, it was on the driver's side, so it was to my left, there was a firing range, a shooting range, people shooting pistols, rifles, stuff like that, and there was a, a sign out front, and one of the things that I can't help but focus on and sometimes obsess over is what had to happen for someone to write a specific sign. Have you ever seen that, you know, like where, uh, where something is happening, you're reading this sign and you're like, oh my gosh, why would it say like, please don't shoot other people or something like that? It didn't say that, although that would have been awesome. Um, it actually said, please leave your cell phone in the car. Your focus might quite literally mean the difference between life and death. Your focus might mean quite literally the difference between life and death. And I just thought, is, was somebody at some point out in a firing range be like, hang on, I got a text message. You know, like what, for the love of God, has happened to where they require a sign to say, hey, make sure you're not reading text messages while you're firing a, a weapon or something. And so I just sat there and I'm reading this sign out in the parking lot and, uh, and I can see people looking at their phone and putting them in the car and then suspiciously looking around. And uh, I, I just thought, man, we live in such a bizarre world of complete and constant interruption and lack of focus and distraction. And I, like I said, signs 
that are placed places blow my mind. I had to have, um, I don't even know what this is called. I don't remember what it's called. I had to go in one of those tubes where something spins around you. You know what I'm talking about? What is it? MRI, there you go. <laughs> you win. Uh, and so I was going into an MRI, and I'm sitting there, and, and you do nothing, right? You just have to stay perfectly still, which is so difficult <laughs> uh, because they're telling you to, right? If they're like, hey, just do whatever you want, you could totally sit still. But when they're like, don't move, you're like, I don't think I can't move. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there staring, and, and I see kind of this little sign over the laser that's shooting out. And I'm kind of focused on it. I'm like, man, I can't even read that thing. It's so small. I'm focusing, focusing. Like, oh, I can spend the time here trying to read that. And so I'm looking at it. And as I look at it, all of a sudden, my eyes kind of focus. It says, do not stare directly into this dot. I'm like, why would they put that there? For the love of God. And so I'm like closing my eyes. And I'm like, can I move my eyes? Am I blind now? What are the implications here? And I can't talk. And so just... All of these signs that are places and interruptions that are happening and all of our focus, it's so distracted. We live in a world of complete distraction. And so the question I want you to contemplate as we move through the message this morning is how can we stay focused in a world of constant distraction? How can we stay focused in a world of constant distraction? I want to submit to you that the answer is actually commitment. The answer is commitment. Think about it. You focus on that which you commit to. And now, I don't simply mean in word, because unfortunately, words are pretty easy to just say, right? And then they're sometimes forgotten. I mean true and full informed commitment. I have made a decision to be committed to this, and as a result of being committed to it, it has my undivided attention. I am focused on it. There are things in this world that we focus on, and those are the things that we're truly committed to, like it or not. I mean, really, if you think about it, depending on what it is that you're committed to, revealed by what it is you focus on, it can be kind of embarrassing to consider like, whoa, that's what actually matters most to me. For some of you, I've just saved you a ton of money in marriage counseling. (laughs) Like, see, that's the problem. Like, oh, but we get locked in, whether we like it or not. If, if we are committed to something and we are focused on it, it does not matter what, distra- what distraction comes our way. We're completely and entirely wholly locked in. So if you're really locked into something, it's because you're committed to it. And so therefore, it has gained your focus, right? This isn't rocket science. We can see it played out if you have, uh, if you have children, you've witnessed this when they're focused in on the TV or they're focused in on a video game or something and you're screaming their name. You're like, can you hear me? And they're like, uh. You're like, fire, death, candy, drugs, money. And they're like, uh. You're like, what is going on? You shut it off and they're like, oh. All of a sudden you have their undivided attention. And we can laugh about it because we've witnessed it, but the reality is it's not just a kid thing, right? I've been... Uh, Recently, I was stopped at a red light. As I'm stopped at the red light, once again, just kind of looking around and uh, finding ridiculous signs. No, I wish that was the case all the time. That would be hugely entertaining. But I looked to my right, and we were, uh, it was a two-lane road, and, uh, or a four, four-lane road, depending on how you communicate that. Two lanes going the same way. And so I look over, and there's a woman who is literally just texting away at this light. And, uh, and I feel like she's using me as the indicator of when the light's going to turn green. And so I'm kind of in, intrigued by that. I'm thinking, what if I just sit here? Will she continue to sit here? Or what if I roll forward while it's red? 
will she roll into the intersection? So I kind of let up on the gas a little bit. I mean, let up on the brake and just kind of started to roll. And she like started to go. And then she slammed on the brakes and looked at me like, are you trying to kill me? I'm like, why am I? And then I was super entertained by that. Like I could really just make her drive into traffic right now because her peripheral vision is like, so she looks at me like, gosh, and I was like, wow. So she starts texting and she's laughing, like just totally engaged in this world. So then I let up on the brake this time, the light turns green and I kind of slowly roll by. And as I roll by, she's still there texting away. I was like, I totally got away and she didn't even get to use me as the indicator. So then all of a sudden the horn beeps and she looks at me like I failed her in life. And so she hits the gas and goes by and we're so distracted by things that have our attention. We do it as adults. So we can laugh about our kids, but maybe you don't want to admit to it. But the fact is there are times that you have engaged in a text message or something like that at a point in which you should have been more fully engaged. I've had conversations where um, I'm interacting with people on a conference call. And uh, back in the day, you know, probably like 10 years ago, conference calls were a thing where you couldn't see people. And that was the best because then you'd ask a question and there'd be like silence. And this was like the default response. And if you've ever been a part of any type of those environments, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, sorry, I was multitasking. Like, what? You mean you were ignoring us? That's what you're talking about. You're trying to like somehow make it sound, oh, sorry, I was in the middle of multitasking for a second. I missed that question. Could you restate it? Like you weren't listening. Now what happens is we have like Zoom calls and different interactions like that where you can actually see the people. And that's even more entertaining because their screen lights up. You know what I mean? When you're like their face lights up because they've switched screens. So you can literally watch the colors of their faces change because they're completely on a different screen as they're talking to you. And you can just tell they're doing other stuff instead of engaging you in the midst of the conversation. The fact is we have distraction all the time and there are certain things that we choose to put our focus on. Even when you're having a conversation with a person. Have you guys ever had that moment where you're talking to somebody fully engaged and they're like, yeah, no, I know, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. No, I know. I know. I know. Totally, totally. Right. Yeah. So then the, yep, I'm totally listening. Keep going. Right. And so um, if I was doing that right now, what would that be like if I was texting while I was actually preaching? That would be absurd, right? I actually just texted somebody just for the fun of it. <laughs> it was the person in back. It was fine. So but in either case, it's rude. First off, and for some, in some way, it's typical. Like, we almost expect it on some level. Partial focus. It's the culture that we live in. You see, to complicate things, everything is fighting for your focus. Everything is. Literally everything. If you have children, all of them individually are fighting for your focus while the TV is, while the you know, computer is, while the text message, while the phone call, all of that stuff. It's all fighting for our focus. And in the busyness and craziness, the question that you'll have to ask yourself, and you do this, whether intentionally or subconsciously, is what will I commit to? What will I commit to? Who wins right now? Who wins my attention in this moment? Who gets my focus? Who will I commit to? What will I commit to? You see, this is more important than you realize because that which you commit to, you work for. Think about that for a second. It's super fun to consider. Whatever you commit to, you work for. It's where you invest your limited resources. We have limited resources. Time, talent, and treasure. They have an end to them. You only have so much time on this earth. 
Where is it that you'll invest your time, talent, and treasure? The very things that God owns. God owns your time, your talent, and your treasure and has entrusted those things to us as stewards. And now we invest. We invest. Investment. It's an interesting way to think about that, isn't it? Where is it that you invest your time, your talent, and your treasure? Are you making a poor investment? Where and how we invest those things will determine the depth and the fruitfulness of our one and only life. Kind of heavy, right? Where, where you spend, where you invest your time, your talent, and your treasure will determine the depth and fruitfulness of your one and only life. It's an extremely important topic and one that ultimately reveals our maturity. In fact, the author of Hebrews takes a break in the midst of explaining Jesus as the high priest to address this very topic. And that's what we see when we look at verse 11. The author says this, about this, referring to Jesus being the high priest, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. About this, about the priesthood of Jesus, we have so much more to say. There's so much more depth to talk about. But it's hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? Because you're dull of hearing. If you look at uh, the original text, there's some interesting translations or interpretations uh, of these words. Dull of hearing, dull actually means sluggish. Sluggish. And uh, of hearing is actually talking about paying attention. So what the author is really saying is there's a whole much more that we can talk about this topic. The problem is you've become sluggish or lazy in your capacity to pay attention. We could talk so much more about the depths of who Jesus is, of what it is that he's done, what the implications are in your life. The problem is you've grown lazy in your capacity or willingness to pay attention. You've become dull of hearing. How? What are the, what are the implications? The implications are actually revealed in verses 12 through 13. It says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. There's a huge rebuke happening. (laughs) The author of Hebrews is just kind of unleashing. And when you, when you read that by this time you ought to be teachers, one of the mistakes that, that might be made is that you think about teaching as like the office of pastor or elder. You know, like by now you should all be pastors, but you're not. And that's not what the author's saying. The original Greek reveals that the author's addressing their responsibility to be discipling others. By now you should be discipling others, but instead... You're once again going back to the basic principles of the oracles of God. You're, you're relearning the basics about Christianity. Instead of being a disciple maker, you're back at the beginning. You still need milk, not solid food. Unskilled in the word of righteousness. What this means is that they're unable to articulate the gospel. They're unfamiliar with scripture. What the author is saying is they're so busy about the distractions of life. 
the commitments they've made, their focus is so off skew that instead of going deeper into the things of God, they're still struggling with the basics of who God is. Instead of being a disciple maker, they're still struggling with their own understanding of, is God real? Does he really love me? They're unfamiliar with scripture because of their laziness. Listen, the Bible teaches us that our ignorance, and what I mean by ignorance is literally by definition, our lack of knowledge. Our lack of knowledge of God's word is a moral problem, not an intellectual one. Our lack of knowledge about the word of God is a moral problem, not an intellectual one. In other words, it's a decision we make to prioritize other things. We say, yeah, but I don't, I don't really understand the deeper things of God. I mean, I get so confused about that. That's a moral issue, not an intellectual one. It's amazing how brilliant people have the capacity to make amazing decisions, but you start talking about spiritual things, you're like, I just don't understand that. Because you don't want to. Because you've grown lazy. Your engagement in Scripture. You could do all these amazing, incredible things, stuff that requires amazing levels of knowledge and education, and yet you're looking at Scripture and you're saying, I just don't understand that. And what you mean is, I won't understand that. It won't get my attention. It won't get my focus. I'm committed to other things. The Hebrew Christians were intellectually dull because they became sluggish of heart. They were lazy And became indifferent to scripture. They were lazy and became indifferent to scripture. Sound familiar? (laughs) Some of you are like, no, that guy? Them? I don't know, not me. I know we have a wide range of people in the room. People that, that range from no knowledge of scripture to some basic knowledge of scripture to baby Christ follower, kind of new in their faith, all the way up to, to people that would maybe consider themselves spiritually mature and, and growing and eating solid food, if you will. Regardless of where you fall in that gamut, none of us are exempt from lack of focus on what matters most. We all lack focus on what matters most. We're all guilty of that. If you think you're not guilty of prioritizing other things, then you have to really come to grips with some things in your life because we are all, as humans, guilty of the reality of the world around us. There's so much stuff vying for our attention. None of us are exempt from lack of focus on what matters most. We're distracted by lesser commitments. The question is, are you willing to come to grips with the fact that it's a lesser commitment? Or are you just leaning into that as if it's an ultimate thing? And maybe you're here today and you say, oh, you know, pastor, I, I read two chapters a day. I, I read the Bible every day. And that's good. That's great. I would never make you feel bad for that. I think you should engage scripture every day, for sure. But the question I have is, If that's you this morning, how does it change your life daily? How does it change your life daily? I'll be completely transparent. There have been days where I check the box. I read some text and I go, there, I did my Bible reading for the day, you know? 
what does it look like to allow the word of God to, to wreck you? To allow the truth of the gospel to really mess you up daily. If you're a person that reads scripture every day and you're sitting here saying, you know what? I think, I mean, this is a great message, but I just don't know that I have that struggle. I really think like God's a pretty important part of my day. When was the last time you read the Bible and were so convicted about the focus of your life that you called in sick and spent the day praying and repenting? I'm not saying that that's a sign of a spiritually mature person. I'm just saying, has that ever happened? You're like, well, I mean, I can't call it like sick. I mean, I, there's things I have to do, right? There's commitments I've made. I mean, my goodness, right? Now all of a sudden I'm getting a little too close to comfort for some of you like, oh. When was the last time you reoriented your day because you engaged the word of God because something convicted you so much that you said, you know what? I'm kind of bad at being the spiritual head of my house, or I'm sort of bad at, at being a spouse, or I'm sort of bad at being a Christ follower, and maybe I need to reorient the commitment of my life, and maybe instead of saying tomorrow or tomorrow or the next day, maybe today's the day I clear my schedule. Because I could talk to each one of you individually, find out what it is you're super passionate about, and then give you an example. Hey, if all of a sudden this person showed up in Victor for, for 24 hours and you could have unlimited interaction with them for that 24-hour period, would you clear your schedule? I mean, I could find a person that you would do that for. I'm confident. We all have somebody we'd clear our schedule for. But when we start talking about engaging God for a 24-hour period or clearing our schedule to, to focus on our spouse because of what it is that the word of God has revealed about our heart and mind. All of a sudden, we, have, we just have too much stuff to do. Like, it'll pile up, Claude. I, you don't understand. The emails I get in a day, I mean, wow. Because what we commit to, that has our focus. When was the last time you wrote the names of the kids on your child's team down and prayed for them with your kids before you sent them as gospel-centered influencers to their practice. It's a different take, right? Than just saying, oh, my kids have this sporting event. Oh, I'm, I'm a taxi service. I'm basically an Uber that doesn't get paid. I just move kids back and forth. Why? Because we made a commitment. And I look at my kid, you're going to... You're going to follow through on that commitment. We are people of our word. Right? So we will focus on that. But when, listen, I'm not saying run away from sports. I'm not saying that, you know, school is the devil. I'm not saying anything like that. All right? I'm talking about looking at the things that have the attention of your kids and the attention of you in, in a good way. How do you redeem that? So that you can sit down and say, look, what does it look like for us to be gospel-centered influencers on this team? So it just doesn't get our attention, but we actually go there sent, sent by God. Have you allowed scripture to reorient the way you focus on things? Maturity means understanding the mission and connecting the dots. Understanding scripture enough to say, oh, I don't disengage from the world, running from it, scared to death. 
I engage the world missionally, intentionally. I connect the dots. I'm sent. See, I would argue that probably a majority of this room, if not all of us, have never called in sick or cleared our schedule to simply spend the day praying and repenting because of all of a sudden we were wrecked by a text we read that morning. Text meaning scripture, not text. It's funny how much words change in our society. (laughs) The reality is some of you probably have called in sick because of a text you received that has totally rearranged your day. (laughs) Unfortunately, it proves my point. A majority of this room, if not all of us, have probably not spent time with our kids saying, what does it look like for us to engage on this team, not as a distraction to our engagement with God, but as part of the mission that we're being sent to. Here's the deal. We'd be a pretty cruddy church, in my opinion, if what we said was, listen, you need to disengage the world and just huddle here. We just need to huddle here. We just need to get, listen, no, stop talking to people. Stop playing games. Stop playing sports. Just let's all get together here and talk about how we should just be afraid that Jesus is coming back. You know? Look out, here comes the world. They're so mean, right? That's not what we see in Scripture. In Scripture, we see that the body of Christ gathers together, equips the saints, and then sends them out. I want you to be on sporting teams. I want you to engage in the things of this world. I want you to be a part of all the things that your lives should be a part of on mission. On mission. Not just engagement the way your neighbors are engaged, but engage in a way where you're literally discipling your children and saying, listen, what does it look like for us to serve your team in a way that like blows their mind? That we can be an example of the hands and feet of Christ that we're literally sent. See, somewhere we got lazy. We got lazy. We became dull of hearing. And in our spiritual, and I'm saying our, in our spiritual immaturity, we concluded that our commitment is to our job. That our commitment is to our spouse to our education, that our commitment is to our kids, to our sports. Listen, some of you guys are tilting right now. You're like, wait, we shouldn't be committed to our spouses? I don't understand. Good things should never become ultimate things. So should you have a commitment to your spouse? Yeah, if your commitment to God is first. Your commitment to God should inform how you interact with your spouse. But if you've elevated your spouse to like deity, they've become an idol in your life. If you've elevated your kids, they've become an idol in your life. It's crazy how that happens. But it happens because of our laziness. Because of our disengagement of scripture, because of our apathy towards the word of God, and it doesn't check our hearts. We don't feel the conviction of the spirit to say, wait, these aren't, these aren't evil things. They're good things, but they should be informed by the truth of God. They should be balanced. They don't define us. Your identity is not mother. Your identity is not father. Your identity is not provider. Your identity is not husband, is not wife, is not child. Like I could go on and on. Your identity is child of the living God. And if you can allow that to sink deep into your heart, then you don't look for the, for the, 
the acceptance and the approval of your children. You don't look and desire the acceptance and the approval of others because it's already founded in the word of God. I'm a child of the living God, so you don't have that authority in my life. You see, this should be a freeing message. And yet it feels so convicting because we are so focused on lesser things. And here's a shock. Those lesser things, 100% of the time, provide us with more work and no rest. More work and no rest. They never deliver on the rest we desire. Our kids will never look at us and be like, you know what, mom, dad, I fully appreciate you driving me around all the time. You look exhausted and I'm aware of that. It strikes me deep in my soul. And I just, I feel as though I might be taking advantage of you. And so I have a piggy bank here. And I would love to give you all of the money I've ever been given in my life to somehow settle the debt. And meanwhile, I'm going to ask permission to inconvenience you any point further. Like, that's not going to (laughs) happen. Not even a little. Nor would you want it to. But we're searching. We're searching for some form of approval that can never be found in the created. There's a text that I want to read to you, and it's intentionally not projected, because I want you to write it down, and I want you to look it up later, and I want you to process the implications in your life. I'm going to read it to us. The, the, the scripture is this. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I'm going to read it to you, but I want you to write it down as I mentioned. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, it says this. Jesus is saying these words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will find rest for your souls. (laughs) Oh, rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Seems so counterintuitive, right? In our world, the burden is always heavy. We're always tired. There's always more to do. The to-do list gets longer. The list of disappointment, it just gets longer and longer. We just want to get our head above water And it's Jesus alone who says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to consider the implications of that text this week. And I want you to realize this morning that Jesus did the work. He did the work that truly matters. He paid the penalty so that you can be a child of God. That's the way the story goes. The the striving for, for peace and the search for rest, it can be found in him. Isn't it weird that we we search everywhere for it? 
We search to the people that we love, to the people that we trust, and we say, certainly you can provide me the rest I'm searching for. You can provide me the approval that I need. You can provide me the identity that I so long for. But if we would just rest in the finished work of Christ. Because you can never work hard enough to earn your salvation. You could never do enough good to finally be sinless before the eyes of God. There's only one way. And it's what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf, on my behalf. He went and laid down his life for your sins and mine. He took the yoke upon him, the wrath that sin deserves. He took upon him so that we could feel the freedom of being a child of the living God. That's why the yoke is light and the The burden is easy. It's as if we lack discernment, right? It's like we forget that. We just get into the busyness of life and we focus on lesser things. Verse 14 says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, before you get too discouraged this morning, realize that spiritual maturity is possible. It's possible that the word powers of discernment trained, that word trained, the Greek is actually the word where we get gym from, gymnasium. So, so literally it's saying you have the powers of discernment worked out trained in a gym. How? By constant practice. By constant practice. This means we grow spiritually by constantly making the decision to apply scripture to our lives. That's what it means. The way you grow up spiritually, the way you saturate your heart and mind with truth so you don't kind of weigh away into the the distractions and into the worries of the world, the way you stay focused is by constantly Applying scripture to your life. Connecting the dots. This isn't rocket science. We do this in other areas of our life. You might sit there and be like, oh, I just, I can't. And and, and if, I don't know who's saying I can't in their mind, but if you're saying I can't or that sounds hard, you're lazy. That's what scripture's saying. And what it means is you've decided to become indifferent to scripture. It's a decision that you've made. And a decision you can change. You do it in other areas of your life. I had a, an issue with my vehicle. I'm almost embarrassed to tell this story because of how absurd it is. <laughs> For almost two years, my tire, my driver's side has gotten soft about every week. And so I bring it to an air place and fill it with air. Like almost once a week <laughs> for almost two years. <laughs> And the reason, I know it's absurd. Some of you guys are like, what? And the reason why is because I took it to a place and they said, yeah, you just need a new rim. And like, I looked at new rims. I was like, that's stupid. I was like, you know what? I can, I can probably find a rim on a pick and pull. And so I've been looking for rims at pick and pull places just because I don't care that much about the stinking tire. But I was inconvenienced almost every week. And then Thanksgiving happened. And I missed my rotation of filling my 
my tire with air and it was on the rim and I have AAA. So I was like, forget it. I'm just going to call the guy. So I call the guy and he comes out and he fills it up with air and he goes, do you have a leak? Cause I can repair the leak. I was like, no, nah, there's something wrong with the rim. They say I need a new rim or something. And he's like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. You should probably get that taken care of. I was like, yeah, it's been a while. And I have a compressor in my garage. I don't know why I don't just fill that up and just keep filling the tire. And the reason why is because then it would actually be like a commitment that this is the way I'm living my life now. But in some way, I've tricked myself to be like, well, if I'm inconvenienced all the time, eventually I'll change it. Two years, people. I have a problem. And so finally, I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm just going to bring it to a garage, and I'm just going to bite the bullet. I'll just pay for a rim if I have to. This is stupid. My wife was constantly like, Claude, enough is enough. This is not a good use of your time. And I'm like, oh, it's right on the way. It's fine. I just stop, you know? So I, I bring it to the garage, and I, I tell this person what the other garages have said, because at this point, over two years, I've brought it multiple places. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess there's just, there's no way to fix it. So I guess I just, I need a rim. So I guess if you have to buy a new rim or something, he's like, oh, you don't have to buy a new rim. I'm like, you're speaking my language. And uh, I was like, well, a pick and pull or whatever. And he's like, uh, no, I can fix it. I was like, yeah, no, I've heard that before. He goes, no, no, like for real, I can fix it. Like, okay, chief. Um, you know, whatever you got to tell yourself, I'm glad that you're so optimistic. And, uh, but, you know, when you take the tire off and tell me you can't, I'm letting you know in advance, I'm fine with just whatever has to be done. I will pay for it. I'm at your mercy. <laughs> and uh, so I leave and the guy calls me back and uh, he goes, yeah, you come pick it up. And I was like, oh, so I uh, had to get in a new rim. And he's like, no. I was like, oh, you found it, pick and pull or whatever. He's like, no, I fixed it. Like, you fixed it? He's like, yeah, I fixed it. For real, you fixed it? I've never wanted to mouth kiss another man <laughs> my whole life. I could not believe it. And I also can't believe I just said that. <laughs> Meredith's devastated too. Perfect example of just, I don't understand. Anyway, but I was just like, oh my gosh. I was so excited. I was like, you are the man. I was like, can I tip you? Is that the way it works here? I don't know. Like, here's my firstborn child. She's great. Like, no, I'm just kidding. It was amazing. I was elated. I was like, dude, how did you, like, how did you know? How'd you feel? He's like, well, when you explained it to me, I knew what the problem was. He goes, in most places are just too lazy to grind down the buildup. He's like, it kind of oxidizes in the inside of the rim and they're just too lazy to, to grind it out. He goes, so I found three different places that it was leaking and I just ground it down and then there's a seal and he explained a lot of things that don't matter now, but he fixed it. He fixed it and he knew he could. Why? Because he knows how to do his job. This is why. At some point, he had book knowledge of the basics of being a mechanic. And then at some point, someone took him under their wing and kind of discipled him, if you will, in how it is to deal with different issues like this. And then ultimately, his applied experience and his constant practice at his craft made him efficient enough to confidently look at me and say, I can fix that. He had no doubt in his mind, I can fix it. Why? I know the issue. I'm going to fix it. And he did. We do that in areas of our lives. Why? Because you have the necessary book knowledge. Because at some point someone took you under your, their wing. They discipled you in the ways of understanding it. Because you applied yourself. Because you weren't lazy in your craft. And then because you practiced it enough to have experience to the point where you walk in and you confidently solve problems all day long. All day long. Some of you solve problems your spouse don't want you to solve. And they're like, why are you trying to fix me? <laughs> <laughs> Only half the room left. But the other half is like, I hate them. No, the point is, we are good at what we commit to. 
we have proficiency and confidence in the things that we apply ourselves to, the things we work for, the things we're trained in, the things that we have constant practice in? Are you constantly applying eternal truth to your life? How about eternity? How about the only thing that stinking matters? Gosh, I, I hate how convicting this is. And yet at the same time, I love it because we need to be wrecked a little bit. We need to realize, wait a second, we're only given so many years on this planet, but eternity is forever. And that's the only thing that matters. And some of us are so busy practicing and working so hard to get money and stuff. And who cares? Eternity. Are you practicing the eternal things? Are you allowing that to, to come to the surface? Is that what's wrecking you or is your to-do list wrecking you? The things that next week you won't even know about, that next month you won't remember. Do you lay awake at night because of the to-do list or because of what it is that God's whispering to your heart? Because of the things you're dreaming about? Because of eternal potential? Or is it about building some earthly kingdom that will rot away, that will 100% rust. Are you able to have confidence in the eternal things of your life? Or have you grown lazy and indifferent to the word of God? Chapter six starts by letting us know that it's possible to know scripture but not believe it. It's amazing. I, I love the way the author sets the table to say you, you, you need to engage and apply the truth of Scripture in your life and then starts off at chapter 6 and says, hey, here's some basic principles of what it is to be a Christ follower. And by the way, just so you know, you can know Scripture and still not believe it. <laughs> it's possible to know Scripture, not believe it, to hear it, but not surrender to it. To read it daily and not connect the dots. Just check the box. Verse 8, after talking about how it is that we engage and grow in Scripture, verse 8 kind of sums it up and, and says in, in verse 8, but if it bears thorns and thistles. In other words, what's the fruit of your life? If it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Yay. This text is actually reminiscent of Isaiah 5. If you were part of our Isaiah series during the summer, you're familiar with it a little bit. It's where God created the perfect environment. The perfect environment for a crop to grow. But when the crop was produced, it was stink fruit. If you remember that. Stink fruit. In other words, you can have all the right pieces, but the fruit of your life will ultimately tell the story. We need to evaluate the fruit of our lives. And the fruit of our lives should not be the standards that the world imposes as far as finances or stuff or whatever. We're talking about the lasting fruit of our lives, the eternal ramifications of how we live. 
You see, your focus will always reveal your commitment. If we focus on Jesus, we can rest assured in our commitment. If we focus on Jesus, we can rest assured in our commitment. We say every week that the text requires something from us. And the thing that I want to ask you this morning as you leave this place and evaluate things, I'm sorry, before we respond through song, and then ultimately leave this place, is this question, what will I do with the evil I've allowed in my life? What will I do with the evil I allowed in my life? Now the wording might seem harsh, like, well, evil, what are you talking about? But if you remember, first of all, it's intentional, and if you remember verse 14, the end of it, it says, by, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's the way it ends. That's the way chapter 5 ends. Distinguishing good from evil. So we wanted to use that word to kind of uh, sort of awaken us or splash cold water on our face because I think oftentimes we, we choose maybe less offensive words. It would have been really easy to say, what will I do with the distractions I've allowed in my life? And you're like, hmm, distractions. But it's not a distraction. If it's distracting you from what it is that God's calling you to do, it's evil. Let's call it what it is. We have permitted certain things in our lives simply because we're unwilling to acknowledge them as evil. When you allow a good thing to become an ultimate thing, it has become an evil thing. So how is it that that we address those areas in our life. If it's corrupting your focus, it's taking an evil role. So, what will I do with the evil I've allowed in my life? For all of us this morning, the response should be to repent. We should all at the, the very beginning part to say, listen, I, I need to re repent and reorient my heart. For some of you this morning, the application is to repent and surrender your life. It's really about crossing the line of salvation. It has to start there. You've tried to negotiate saving yourself, maybe. But it has to start, the work starts by a commitment to say, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus Christ. My focus is going to be there. For others of you, you have to consider a lesser commitment maybe reconsider it. Again, I'm not saying disengage from all the things you do. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about redeeming the things you do. To connect the dots with the truth of Scripture and say, listen, we're a part of these spheres of influence to be gospel-centered influencers. Not to be attendees or participants, but to be on mission with what it is that God's calling us to do and be. For others of us, we have to recalibrate our commitments to be missional. To lean in. I want to ask you if you would to, to bow your heads. And if you want, you can close your eyes. But I, will, I want you to, to focus for a moment on the commitments of your life. And if the adjustment that you need to make is surrendering your life to Christ, I want to provide opportunity for you to do that. It's really rather simple. It's just you making a decision. And in, and in the quietness of your seat, to be able to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. 
but you died for me. You did the work I could never do for myself. <coughs> Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. For some of you, it starts right there. That's the application. For others of you, would you just, would you think about the commitments of your life? The things you elevate? What captures your focus? What it is that you lean into? Some of them need to stop. Say enough is enough. This is an evil thing. It just needs to get out of my life. Or are there things that can be redeemed? Say, listen, we need to connect the dots here. What does it look like for us to be gospel-centered influencers in this area? What does it look like for me to be a person that invests my time, my talent, and my treasure with an eternal focus that works, that works at the truth of the gospel in my life the way I do work at a gym, the way I lean in with the focus of my physical body or my craft or whatever it is that you do, your schooling, whatever, would you apply that type of effort and discipline to the things that really matter, the eternal things? Not my opinion. What it is that God says matters. Let's consider those things as we respond.